We had some incredible moments throughout week two. Incredible moments. And JB, as I'm getting ready to go over to the uh, San Antonio destination of Trinity, Texas, he's he's like, Frank, yeah. I've got the cold open. I've got the cold <laughs> open for you. I got it. And I'm I'm like, okay, it must, must be something really great. And this is the cold open, folks. This is all or nothing for Lions and that he's throwing up. Oh, no. Peyton Lyon just threw up as he's about <laughs> to take the snap. Eight seconds left. He is currently throwing, he as he has to take the snap, unreal scenes at Gurky Field. Lion dropping back, and he's hitting the football ball. JB, you're just cruel. I mean, how could you do this to Peyton Lyon like this? That, that's just not right. I mean, what a... The poor guy who was trying his best to bring his team back in a in the spud bowl of all things. He's threw for almost 400 yards. He had four touchdowns. The guy was so so sick that he he just had to. It happens in football, and just the the fact that the announcer was sort of you know latched onto it. I mean, they gave him credit after the fact for for hanging in there. Um, he definitely left it all out on the field, Frank. Ouch. You know, you look at his stats, over 370 yards passing, four touchdowns, yep. but two interceptions, seven sacks. Uh, the seven sacks, maybe the <laughs> offensive line helped contribute to the puke. Uh, that just isn't <laughs> yeah, a ouch. great day in the backfield. So perhaps uh, they should be buying him dinner only after he recovers from that moment. But uh, Peyton, listen, bud, yep. we're, we're sorry we brought more attention to you than you probably wanted, but at the same time, we want to take our hats off to you for being a gamer and for, you know, living up to the whole mantra of Division Three football for the love of the game, because seriously, you must love the game if you're willing to put yourself through all that at the end of the day for no scholarship yeah. at that. Hell of an so, effort. Yep. Well, listen, I almost puked on the sideline when it was 102 degrees out, 101 degrees thereabouts uh, in San Antonio, but uh, we all made it through. It was hot. Uh, I, I will suggest that there may have been something of that uh, nature on the Mary Hard Baylor sideline that I w almost walked in, or perhaps did. So uh, hot weather can do that to you, no doubt, and uh, we'll talk a lot more about that game. Uh, maybe not the St. Norbert game anymore, but a lot of other things here. This is week week 16? No, it's only week two of season 16 of In the Huddle. Okay, week two, everybody, and uh, just when you think you know what's going to be happening here in this season, things turn all kinds of wacky across uh, the rankings and whatnot. Uh, St. John's, <laughs> what the heck, against a uh, what Wisconsin-Whitewater team that loses their quarterback thanks to the in-the-huddle curse, apparently. Uh, yeah, Alex Ogden, or Alec Ogden, uh, yep, it was uh, yep. clearly JB's fault, so uh, blame JB for this. He uh, ended up in a sling uh, on the sideline uh, with his arm uh, sometime in the first half. But uh, yet, yeah, they still doubled up St. John's. We'll talk more about that in crunch time. JB, 
that wasn't the only amazing score or unexpected development from week two. And as always, I turn to you for your 30,000 foot view of week two. Yeah, well, this weekend had everything, Frank. We had lightning leather, weather delays from multiple games across, I mean, literally all across the United States on the eastern seaboard. We had stuff happening in, in the Mid-Atlantic, in the Northeast, Pennsylvania, you know, everywhere. Um, and, you know, even throughout these weather delays, whether it was on Friday or Saturday, we still were playing for presidents and Hoffman Cups. We played for a donut trophy. Um, there was some marquee top 25 matchups, some that went the way we thought they would, and then others that kind of surprised us, like Frank said. Um, overall, though, I think we what we saw, uh, and we saw some teams debut, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that later on in the show. I think some of Frank's picks seem to turn out to be right, and I'm, I got an uphill road to climb here. But, hey, um, shout out to, to Whitewater for the big win. I got the, uh, the Quinn Maynard's T-shirt in the back there, the belly of the beast. The Warhawks looking pretty impressive so far. There yeah, it is. Po- point to it. Yeah, point to it. Yep. Yeah, well, yeah, that wasn't quite the right point, but yeah, you're clo- yeah, uh, there. Got it. Nailed it. Nailed it. We'll, we'll get you uh, <laughs> it's always in, to the point the where... Mirror. <laughs> the yeah, Believe Bowl, too. Way. We also had... We had we had the Believe Bowl as well of all the you know the games that were happening. Lots of stuff happening. Anyway, let's go. Yeah, I think we just got our uh, got thumbnail thing for. Uh, yeah, this the thumbnail that we uh, have to do for every episode. I think we just found it. Uh, anyway, yeah, something like that. <laughs> Listen, we got a lot of games to go through. Eight pages worth of uh, script here for me, so I got a lot to talk about to you in respect of a crunch time for week number two of the 2023 Division III college football season. We will start in Region 1, where Framingham State faced Salve Regina on a Thursday night. And we'll start here with this great interception by Avery Arno. Uh, He gets the ball at the 23-yard line, gets it to the 21 before he just nips the out-of-bounds line. And that sets up this Ryan Jans one-yard touchdown run. Four and a half minutes into the game, make it 7-0, Salve Regina. One minute left first quarter, Josh Letelier gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Jake Stack. It's 14-0, Salve Regina. Let's fast forward into the early part of the third quarter. Watch this Terry Smith pass intercepted by Jake or excuse me, Jack Zingaro, and Zingaro gets it down to the FSU 44-yard line. That would lead to a touchdown. We'll stay on defense, though, as Henry Bork is sacked here for a loss of two yards, and that's a safety. It's Mark Promotico with that safety, and the final score would end up being 29-0 in favor of Salve Regina. Jake Stack, 9 for 16, 101 yards, one passing touchdown. This Salve Regina defense, though, four sacks, four interceptions, one forced fumble and fumble recovery, and one safety. That's a heck of a night on a Thursday night in Newport, Rhode Island. Let's go to Saturday now, where Ithaca faced Endicott. Three minutes into the game, Jake Williams has this five-yard touchdown run for Ithaca to make it 7-0 in favor of the Bombers. Second quarter, 11-12 left, and it's Anthony Caggianelli with the one-yard touchdown run to equalize for Endicott 7-7. The halftime score would be 10-7 Endicott. We'll fast forward to the fourth quarter, 120 into it, 
It's Bridgewater getting his 10-yard touchdown pass from Clayton Marenghi, making it 17-7 in favor of Endicott. That was an 18-play drive that went 95 yards for Endicott there. And in the fourth quarter, still six minutes later, A.J. Wingfield says we need to come back, and he tries to get his legs to do it with this two-yard touchdown run, 17-13 in favor of Endicott. Five minutes later, Sam Klein gets a 30-yard touchdown pass from A.J. Wingfield. It makes it 20-17 in favor of Ithaca, and that's how we would finish things, 20-17. Ithaca trailed 17-7 with 13.40 remaining. Uh, A.J. Wingfield, though, with 166 total yards, one passing, one rushing touchdown on the day. Let's go to our Friday evening game, actually, next. WPI at Bridgewater State. So we'll go to the second half, and we've got a lot of antics going on here. First, Hunter Carey gets a one-yard touchdown run to make it 10-7 in favor of WPI. A minute later, not even, Adam Couch, a 64-yard touchdown pass from James Cahoon, gives Bridgewater State back the lead, 14-10. In the fourth quarter, it's 11:43 left, and John Chow gets a three-yard touchdown run, and a two-point conversion is no good, so it's 16-14 in favor of WPI now. And then just 16 seconds later, Isaiah Wright, the 85-yard touchdown on the kickoff return. It's 21-16 now, Bridgewater State. But WPI was not to be denied. 5-13 left, Jay Mezzo gets a 12-yard touchdown pass from Stephen McDonald to take the lead and a two-point conversion to boot here. 24-21 in favor of WPI, but we were not done yet. As a fourth and nine from the WPI 11-yard line, Shane Drake's field goal attempt was blocked from 28 yards out, recovered by Gavin Chief, and they give the block to Bryce Curtin of WPI. That would effectively end the game as there would be one second left at the end of all those antics, and the final score was 24-21 in favor of WPI. Hunter Carey, 24 rushes, 111 yards for WPI. He had one rushing touchdown. James Cahoon for Bridgewater State, 25 for 33, 259 yards, one passing touchdown. And by the way, the WPI special teams with that field goal block, we have to take our hats off to them one more time there. We'll stay with our Friday night games here and uh, finish up Region 1 with SUNY Maritime at Mass Maritime. It was the Chowda Bowl, and it was 7-0 Mass Maritime at the half, so we'll go to the third quarter, 7-18 left. SUNY Maritime's Pat Quinn gets his one-yard touchdown pass from Steven Stasi to make it 7-7. Later on, you'll see uh, defensively, you know, the way this game was going essentially, as uh, Mass Maritime is picked off. Mark Murphy's pass was picked off by Aiden Griffin, and that gives uh, SUNY Maritime the ball back. Eventually, fourth quarter, 526 left. Tate uh, Niederer, excuse me, gets a six yard touchdown run for SUNY Maritime. The Privateers up 14 to 7. Mass Maritime would punt it away with 3.14 left because they could not convert, but SUNY Maritime would be able to put away the game here on a third and one with this three-yard rush by Devin Klein to end the game effectively and win it in a low-scoring affair, 14-7. This was the 15th annual Chowda Bowl, and uh, the offense of SUNY Maritime had 11 plays and 92 yards in that game-winning drive in the fourth quarter uh, with 5.26 left, as you saw. JB, hope you like your Chowda. But, but nonetheless, uh, I like the chowder and a whole lot more there as we got some great football in Region 1. Tell us about some more. I, I love the, uh, the pseudo Boston accent there with the chowder bowl. Really well done. Yeah, I mean, there was some interesting, you know, cup chowder types of games going on in Region 1. We had uh, Western New England blanking Westfield State for the President's Cup. I believe the... Um, 
the, well, I guess we'll get to that one in, in Region 2. We had another cup game, but you know, elsewhere, UNE stays at 2-0 uh, with a win over Plymouth State. I think the Coast Guard scored 12 touchdowns in this 93-24 blowout. It got national attention. Our friends at Reddit, CFB, were posting about it. Uh, just a ridiculous amount of scoring happening. I, I don't know what's going on with Anna Maria there. That's that's a rough one. Um, one of the highest scoring games of the last five or six seasons. So congrats to the Bears. Hopefully they, they don't need those points down the road because, man, that was something else. Kings very quietly um, continues to win. They only had one loss in the MAC last season, Frank, to DelVal. Are they a dark horse? I don't know. We'll see. 42-10 to 10 win. Pretty impressive. Um, Widener um, wins over FDU form. Levval gets a one of these weather delay things. They called the game before Stevenson had a chance to try to tie it up. I know their coach, um, Ned Hall, wasn't thrilled about it. It is what it is. Uh, the Mariners on the flip side, though, were leading 30-13 to 13 over Gallaudet and when that game was called in the third quarter, but apparently enough time had, had expired where they were like, okay, you get the win. That's so good for them. Um, Union, the Dutchman Chargers, whatever we want to call them, um, still unbeaten. They won they won big over Worcester State. And then elsewhere, we had Eastern winning their first ever game. Um, I watched that on Saturday night. Uh, the crowd at Franklin Field was fired up. It was an exciting game, back and forth, came down to the end, and uh, very happy, happy for the Eagles that they get their first program win. Okay, in Region 2, here it's a game uh, that just, I still, I, I can't even believe how this thing played out, ultimately. It is Susquehanna at Brockport. And we'll go to the second quarter in this game. 5.43 left is Nate Widgen with the 30-yard field goal for Brockport. It was 3-0 at that point, but just before halftime, Christian Colas gets his own 32-yard field goal to tie things up at halftime, three apiece as Susquehanna and Brockport fought hard here. The third quarter was scoreless. We'll go to the fourth quarter, 8.45 left, and Ryan Jafarjan gets this punt block, and it's gonna go for a safety. So Brockport gets the lead with this safety, five to three. Move forward. It looks like Susquehanna is able to take the lead from the three yard line. Christian Coles with the 21 yard field goal is blocked and blocked this time by Vincent Daviero. And so uh, it's thwarted the uh, chance to take the lead there for Susquehanna, but Brockport was forced to punt with 144 left and Susquehanna would have one last chance. First, fourth and eight near midfield. Josh Ehrlich complete to Jacob Erb here for 19 yards. Then, third and nine from midfield. Here you go. 16 seconds to go. Ehrlich wants to get it in a field goal range. Let's it go deep. House, he's got it. And the end zone, no, he dropped it. He had it for a split second. What's it called? One side says they have it. The other side says it's a fumble. Five seconds left. They call it good. You can see from this angle. Indeed, it was a good catch. My goodness. Christian Collis out for the field goal attempt from 18 yards. It's good. Susquehanna wins 6-5 to five in a game with zero touchdowns, three field goals, and a safety as you're scoring, folks. And Josh Ehrlich with that 49-yard uh, Hail Mary pass to the Brockport one with five seconds remaining is kind of the statistical highlight we have to present to you as we'll talk about Christian Colas' two field goals as well. 
Let's go to Salisbury at Muhlenberg. And this game started out a little bit interesting. As Salisbury's baby Sayet, I believe is the pronunciation, gets a 56-yard touchdown run to make it 7-0. Gulls, Seagulls we'll call them in fact. In the second quarter, 13-41 left. Salisbury's Ronald Clark gets his one-yard run. It's 14-0 Salisbury. They're running over Muhlenberg at first here. But with two minutes left, second quarter, Joe Repetti gets a nine-yard touchdown run. That equalizes the game at that point at 14 apiece. Then 22 seconds left, second quarter. Christopher Ard, a 52-yard touchdown pass from Joe Repetti. It makes it 21-14 Muhlenberg at halftime. We'll fast forward to the end of the third quarter as Pelton Esnasso gets a 33-yard touchdown pass from Joe Repetti. It's 27-17 Muhlenberg. And then here's a big defensive play to really set things up or end things essentially for Muhlenberg. Ben Hutchins sacked for a four-yard loss and a safety here. 29-17 with 4.08 left. Final score of the game, 29-17 Muhlenberg. Muhlenberg scored 21 unanswered points in that second quarter, as you saw. Joe Repetti, 336 total yards, two passing touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown for Muhlenberg. We'll finish out Region 2 with Wilkes at RPI. Two minutes, 43 seconds into the game is Hayden Faraday gets a, getting a 48-yard touchdown pass from Jake Kazanowski for a 7-0 lead for RPI. Eight minutes later, though, Wilkes equalizes as Jason De Dean gets a 6-yard touchdown pass from Isaiah Rodriguez, 7 apiece at that point. We'll go later on into the game as Wilkes is trying to drive, but it's Isaiah Rodriguez uh, completing a pass to Justin Moore, but fumbling it did more. And Diego Fernandez uh, recovers the fumble, ultimately for RPI. One play later, here's Sterling Walker Sutton getting a 41-yard touchdown pass from Jake Kazanowski, 14-7, with one minute left in the first quarter in favor of RPI. In the second quarter, Jake Kazanowski gets his one-yard touchdown run, 21-7 RPI. They'd never look back. 38-14 for the Engineers. RPI's offense outgained Wilkes 389 yards, 167 yards. Jake Kazanowski for RPI, 16 for 24, 236 yards, and three passing touchdowns. Region 2 a little bit quiet there uh, today, or today, this week, uh, ultimately, uh, JB. But, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, that Salisbury Muhlenberg game, that Susquehanna Brockport game. Both of those games are important games for the entire setup of the region when you come to think about it. Yeah, absolutely, because it's going to come down to <coughs> potentially strength of schedule, um, who wins their respective conferences, and if they don't, do they get any pool C help? It's going to be hard for anyone from Region 1 or 2 to maybe get a look in, in um, pool C this year, so every win you can possibly get is, is huge. Otherwise, elsewhere in, in Region 2, Carnegie Mellon with another shutout. St. Lawrence, hopefully I'm pointing in the right direction. The Hoffman Cup uh, winners, 14-7 uh, to 7 over Norwich. We did have a postponement, the TCNJ Franklin and Marshall game. Just too much lightning. They're going to push that game to, I think, Thursday, September 21st. So another random Thursday night game happening um, next week. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, elsewhere, some, some blowouts with uh, you know, Alfred 34-0, Fisher 62-17, your sinus 30-14, Grove City wins big 43-27, Utica beats Moravian in the Believe Bowl, um, Hartwick takes down Keystone, Washington Jeff wins big, Westminster gets their first win of the season, Hobart gets a little revenge on Morrisville after losing to them last year, um, Apprentice clips Buff State, Rowan with an impressive 49-point uh, win there, 49-28 over McDaniel, 
And then uh, Montclair gets on the board first game of the season with a 32-21 win, win over Gettysburg. And Frank, one of the more interesting games, Hopkins and Christopher Newport uh, kind of coming down in the late in the fourth quarter. A great game between both teams, a night game. I watched most of it. Um, Hopkins struggled a little bit. This, this captain's team certainly one to keep an eye out in the end, Jack. I wouldn't say that it's uh, Salisbury's championship just to snap up there. And then obviously Rochester with a big win over Alfred State out in Western New York. They, their offensive line did such a nice job. I think they got the D3 football team of the week nod uh, for this week. So congratulations to the Yellow Jackets. With respect to Hopkins, they lost points in my uh, ballot, actually, based on that performance because uh, it, it was one that I think they should have dominated a little bit better. But uh, we'll see where it goes. And uh, ultimately, I am keeping my eye on Christopher Newport, the captains. We'll see uh, what they're able to do later on as the season progresses. Yes, sir. Let's go to Region 3 and the game I attended, which was Mary Harden Baylor at Trinity. Could Trinity get the monkey off their back, essentially, as the Crusaders look to make it three straight in three years against Trinity? Well, six minutes into the game, it's Ethan Boyer, not Boyle, it's Boyer, with a 23-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn to make it 7-0 in favor of Trinity. Then, about eight minutes later, legend Grigsby, just a speedster when he gets the chance, 46 yards on this touchdown run, makes it 14-0 in favor of the Tigers. 13-36 last second quarter though, Kenneth Cormier Jr. gets hurt from on the Mary Hard Baylor side with this three-yard touchdown run, 14-7 Trinity leads. Two minutes later, though, Cole Monago gets a 28-yard touchdown pass from Tucker Horn. It's 21-7 in favor of Trinity. Later on in the half, look at this Caleb Harmel interception, and uh, they wouldn't get points out of it, but it stopped another threat by UMHB ultimately, and the halftime score was 21-16 Trinity. After halftime, take a look at this one. Boy, it's Caleb Harmel again, and this time, what a leap he had to get the interception. Ultimately, it would lead to this attempt at a field goal that would clang off the upright after five chances uh, within basically the goal-to-go situation for uh, Trinity. So and the defense takes it into their own hands here. Uh, look at this third and five play, a big sack for TJ Scannell. And the next play ultimately is a punt block. Uh, this is Cade Robson with that punt block. The next play from offense for Trinity, well, this time Caleb Crawford with the Fingertip catch from Tucker Horn, 28-16 on the 14-yard touchdown pass in favor of the Tigers. And then at the end of the game, 54 seconds left, Winston Hutchison gets his 17-yard touchdown run. The icing on the cake, we called it, 35-16 Trinity. The Tigers win the game by that score. Tucker Horn, 227 total yards, three passing touchdowns. Caleb Harnell, two interceptions. And Isaac Fay for UMHB, 18 for 30, 231 yards and one passing touchdown on a night that really wasn't horrible for him, except for those two interceptions, ultimately, that he kind of paid for in his team yeah, at some point, maybe not immediately, but eventually it affected field position in certain drives. Let's go next to Birmingham Southern at Huntingdon. And this one surprised a lot of people as 32 seconds left second quarter, we were scoreless until Tyler England gets his 21-yard touchdown pass from Kahari McReynell to make it 7-0 in favor of Huntingdon. Third quarter, 4.53 left. Here's a safety because of this punt uh, botch situation here by uh, Birmingham Southern. So Huntingdon goes up 9-0 here. They were at the 33-yard line, and look at that thing go, basically, for that 9-0 safety. Uh, score. 
Fourth quarter, 13.57 left. Troy Garner, a one-yard touchdown run, makes it 16-0 after that 12-play drive. That uh, was right after the safety, and that was the final score, 16-0, Huntington. Huntington's defense held uh, Birmingham Southern to just 77 total yards. They had two sacks, seven tackles for loss, and an interception. Kahari McReynolds, 163 yards, uh, that's total yards, and one passing touchdown on the evening. Finally, in Region 3, it was... Hendricks at East Texas Baptist. Second quarter, 10-29 left. Cameron Daniels gets a 55-yard fumble recovery for a touchdown. The old scoop and score makes it 17-0. Hendricks. Later on in that second quarter, 44 seconds left. Chris, uh, Christian Gaddison, a 19-yard touchdown pass from Jacob Bunniff. It's 31-7 Hendricks at halftime. Third quarter, though, everything turns around. Zay Thomas with a 10-yard touchdown pass from Cornelius Banks makes it 31-14. Four minutes later, Christian Booker with his 15-yard pick six for East Texas Baptist makes it 31-21 in favor of Hendricks. 103 left third quarter, it's Trajan Giannis Wilcox with the 17-yard touchdown pass from Cornelius Banks. They are now within three points, 31-28. That was a 24-point lead trimmed to three. Well, Fourth quarter, 11-23 left. Jaden Thomas gets his 29-yard touchdown run. East Texas Baptist has now taken the lead, 35-31. It will later be extended with 2.55 left as Pedro Cavazos gets his 40-yard field goal, 38-31 East Texas Baptist. 23 seconds left, and it's a touchdown by Christian Gaddison. The 19-yard uh, touchdown pass from Jacob Buniff. It's 38-37. They go for two, and it is no good. But wait a minute. Let's try the onside kick, they say, and Hendricks recovers the onside kick. So they have a chance here, and first they go for a pass downfield, 34 yards, complete, eight seconds left. Slate Stanton goes out for a 39-yard field goal attempt. Snap good, hold good, kick is up, and it is... No, no good. No good. Wide right. Holy smokes. Tigers will have three seconds to get in the best formation in football and it's no good. What a crushing blow to Hendricks to not only lose that 24-point lead, but then to lose the game on a missed field goal opportunity after missing a two-point conversion all over the place, ouch. 38-37, East Texas Baptist trailed 31-7 at the half. Jacob Buniff, 33 for 53, 412 yards, four passing touchdowns. Cornelius Banks from East Texas Baptist, 317 total yards, two passing, and one rushing touchdown. I'm out of breath. It's your turn to talk about Region 3. Well, um, there isn't a whole lot to talk about in Region 3, to be honest, Frank, because there were a lot of blowouts. There was a loss to a uh, D2 school. There was a win over a, wait for it, NAIA school. Got that one right, finally. Um, but mostly uh, lopsided scores, with the exception of Rhodes hanging on to win 19-17 to over Austin. But what jumps out to me, Frank, look at Barry. The second week in a row, they scored seven, well, they scored 67 in week one. Now they're scoring 70 in week two. So I, I'm not a math major, but what's that? 68 and a half points per game that they're, they're putting out there. I think the Vikings are putting the SAA and the rest of the Southeast on notice that the Vikings are back and they are a serious business and they are a serious contender in that SAA. I know the, the, the focus of this weekend was on Trinity and UMHB, but guess what? There is a former champ, five-time former champ that's back there saying we're, we're we're back baby let's keep an eye on those vikings 
Let's round things out here in regions four through six. It will start with Wartburg at Bethel. 114 left in the first quarter. It's Thor Makestad with a 12-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin. It's six to zero in favor of Wartburg. Uh, but watch this, uh, at the extra point blocked by Jacob Holman, and it's taken the other way. It's six to two, actually, still in favor of Wartburg, a minute 14 left. We'll go to the third quarter in this game. Drake George from Wartburg gets his 52-yard touchdown pass from Niall McLaughlin. It's 13-2 in favor of Wartburg. And then take a look here as the defense steps up. First, Alex Call loses the ball and is recovered by Kanan Morris for Wartburg. In the fourth quarter, it's Niall McLaughlin intercepted by Devin Williams here. But the next play... It's Alex Call again fumbling the ball. This time, Jordan Downing with the recovery. So those two big fumbles ultimately by Bethel just thwart their opportunities. Final score, 16-2, Wartburg over Bethel. Niall McLaughlin, 17 for 32, 207 yards, two passing touchdowns. Bethel's defensive special team, so had three interceptions, but uh, it's 16-2 final. Kind of a pedestrian score for a team that's number three a lot of people think but we'll talk more about that a little bit later next up harden simmons at uw lacrosse we got wisconsin all over the place coming up for you folks i'm going to warn you right now if you don't like wisconsin probably not the show for you to be watching right now at this point first quarter 345 left jack struder gets a 75 yard touchdown pass from kaiser helterbrand to make it 14 to 7 in favor of lacrosse but five seconds left first quarter colton marshall two-yard touchdown run for harden simmons ties up the game 14 14. second quarter 11 38 left lacrosse has kaiser helterbrand with a five-yard touchdown run it's 21 14 in favor of uwl we'll go to the third quarter harden simmons noah garcia a 56-yard touchdown run ties the game at 21 apiece and then seven minutes later four minutes left colton marshall a one-yard touchdown run gives harden simmons the lead 28-21. Let's go to the defense, though, shown in the fourth quarter. First, with 11.06 left, it's Kelterbrand getting intercepted by Demarcus Coleman here for Harden-Simmons. Then with four minutes left, Helterbrand rushes up the middle and gets 11 yards. The Harden-Simmons five, but fumbles the ball. Torrey Pullen uh, is the one that forces the fumble and lands on it. And then with 1.13 left, Helterbrand passes the ball, and it's intercepted by Cade Michna to make it Harden-Simmons game 28-21 in favor of Harden-Simmons. 229 rushing yards for that Harden-Simmons offense, four rushing touchdowns. Helterbrand, 303 total yards, two passing and one rushing touchdown and two interceptions. So those costly interceptions at the end of the game. We'll move now to St. John's at UW-Whitewater and start with in the second quarter, 11.38 left. It's Drake Martin with this 45-yard touchdown pass from Jason Sanitti to make it 14-7 in favor of Whitewater. That's because Alec Ogden had left the game with an injury, and so it's Sanitti's team right now, looks like, for Whitewater. Two minutes later, Whitewater's Tamir Thomas gets this 59-yard touchdown run to give the Warhawks a 21-7 lead. However, St. John's would be back here. Four seconds left in the first half. Alex Larson, a nine-yard touchdown pass from Aaron Severson, makes it a 21-21 halftime score. Third quarter, five minutes into it, Dylan Wheeler, a 29-yard touchdown pass from Severson. It's 28-21, St. John's with the lead. Five minutes later, Stephen Hyde, a 35-yard touchdown pass from Sanity, makes it 28-28. 
and then 31 seconds left third quarter it becomes the Tamir Thomas show here a 10-yard touchdown run makes it 35 28 in favor of Whitewater fourth quarter 739 left Tamir Thomas with a 15-yard touchdown pass from Sinetti makes it 42 28 Warhawks and then three minutes left fourth quarter it's a nine-yard touchdown run by Tamir Thomas 56-28 in favor of the Warhawks, and that's the final score. Ogden leaving the game with the injury, as we said. Tamir Thomas, 17 rushes, 179 yards, four total touchdowns, including those three rushing touchdowns you see. Severson, so 27 for 45, 261 yards, four passing touchdowns, and one interception. Finally, UW Oshkosh at Wheaton. We'll take you to the five-minute mark of this game, and Trey Tetzlaff gets a 15-yard touchdown pass from Kobe Berghammer to make it 6-0 in favor of Oshkosh. Second quarter, 42 seconds into it, Christian Karstens with this five-yard touchdown run makes it 14-9 in favor of Wheaton. So they flip the score around, and the halftime score was 17-9 in favor of Wheaton. Five minutes into the third quarter, it's Clayton Schwab with the 15-yard touchdown pass from Berghammer to make it 17-15, still Wheaton's lead as they missed the two-point conversion. Christian Carsons, though, responds with a two-yard touchdown run four minutes into the fourth quarter to give Wheaton a 23-15 lead. They missed their extra point there. Doug Burson for Oshkosh two minutes later gets his 13-yard touchdown run, but they missed the two-point conversion, does Oshkosh. So it's Wheaton's lead still, 23-21. Then, four minutes left in the old standard, Giovanni Weeks with the four-yard touchdown run for Wheaton, makes it 30-21, and we'll go later on as Kobe Berghammer, trying to get his team back into this game, is intercepted by Max Wilson with 2.42 left, and Wheaton was able to run out the clock the rest of the way to win the game 30-21. Ben Thorson, 22 for 29, 254 yards, a rushing touchdown, and Kobe Berghammer for Oshkosh, 15 for 28, 188 yards, two passing touchdowns, but two interceptions. JB, Wisconsin with some mixed bag uh, in this whole weekend here as Whitewater, big winner, lacrosse and Oshkosh, not so much. But tell us a lot more about regions four through six. Well, there's like 42 other games to, to cover here, so I'll do my best. There were a couple of cross-regionals. Um, opportunities for some of the ranked teams like Aurora, Linfield, and River Falls. They all went to different regions of the country to play this weekend with some mixed results. The Linfield 28-14 decision, Frank, was a little bit of a surprise to me. I thought the Wildcats might have had a, a, a wider margin of victory there, but River Falls taking care of business in Ohio. Um, another score that jumped out to me, Frank, I think this guy Josh Taylor of Mount St. Joseph, he's second in the nation now with 11 passing touchdowns. Could be somebody to keep an eye on. Uh, they, they keep winning and, and do, doing pretty well. Worcester outlasts Olivet. And then a Defiance with kind of a surprising win, in my opinion, 34-17 over Adrian. On the next slide, we have a bunch more games, um, including Oberlin uh, getting a win here. I know the Yeos have been uh, struggling for a while, so that's my cousin Chris's alma mater. So congrats to them on, on breaking that streak. I'm sure they were happy to celebrate that one. Carlton beats Pomona Pitzer 45 to 24. I thought that was interesting. Another kind of cross-regional West Coast and Midwest game. Elsewhere, you know, down at the bottom, we talked a little bit about this earlier on, the St. Norbert Stevens Point Spud Bowl game, uh, which had that exciting finish. Uh, maybe not if you were, um, you know, a St. Norbert fan, but uh, credit to the Pointers. Uh, they, they got the win in the Spud Bowl. Um, Stout came up a little short against NAIA Dickinson State uh, by three points. So another tough outing for a Wisconsin team. 
But Lake Forest wins their rivalry game over the Blue Boys of Illinois College. And then um, out in Oregon, Whitworth doing a, a number on an, on an NAIA team in Eastern Oregon. One of their receivers, I think his last name is spelled C-U, sorry, K-U-K, or maybe it's Cook is how it's pronounced. Had three receiving touchdowns on a 42-28 uh, win over there. Elsewhere, Rose Holman outlasts Trine. That was a, yet another game that I, I thought I might get right, but one of the Trine offensive linemen, Frank, they had the ball down at the 18-yard line. He decides to slam his um, opponent to the ground 15 yards, and all of a sudden a makeable field goal to win the game turns into about a 48-49 yard attempt. Guess what happened? Rose Holman wins 30-28 on the missed field goal because of the personal foul. And then, as you can see over there, that beautiful donut trophy, Carroll wins it easily 51-7 over Wisconsin Lutheran. And there was actually one uh, red-eye game. I, I didn't read the schedule correctly, I guess, but uh, George Fox you know, beat Specific 14-9. I caught that one late night. I think I actually watched over 12 hours of D3 football on Saturday, Frank. After taking two kids to college, I was exhausted. My wife was exhausted. She watched Netflix all day. I watched football all day. It was glorious, and what a fun weekend of D3 football. I joined you for a lot of that because uh, I had an afternoon free pretty much and I was in Starbucks all day watching Division 3, uh, that Endicott and Ithaca game, and a bunch of other ones. And I will say that for the first time, it's been a while because obviously since we don't have like the national television you know, separation, all the games were really nicely spread out. We kind of lucked out. That doesn't always happen. There's usually a ton of 12 and then one and then two games that sort of overlap. This time though, we actually had some separation between the big games and that made it a, a much more enjoyable watch throughout the entire day. That was an enjoyable week two of the Division Three college football season of 2023. JB, uh, that was a lot. Uh, we got to move along here a little bit, but uh, we got to talk yeah. about the JB's MVPs and go right ahead. To, uh, tell us about these three uh, handsome lads, as they would say. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'll start over on the on the right-hand side, since we've already talked about him a good amount. Caleb Harmel, those two interceptions in the Trinity win over UMHB, just fantastic athleticism. There's a reason he's a preseason and regular season first-team All-American. Just an awesome job there, so congratulations to the Tigers. They have a big uh, you know, conference kickoff against... Uh, Birmingham Southern this weekend, which actually just got moved down to 11 a.m., so might be one of the first games of the day on Saturday. Bryce Curtin, um, you know, one of the one of the guys probably just been you know banging away there with the engineers over the years. He's a senior, made the play of the game. He was the guy who got his hand on the ball um, and blocked it to save the win for them. So he's my special teams MVP of this week. And then finally, certainly not last uh, for least, but. Ben Thorson is an interesting guy here, Frank, because he's from Wheaton. He went to, um, I think, a prep school in Wheaton, Illinois. Probably, you know, grew up watching the Thunder and was a backup pretty much his whole college career until last Saturday. And one of the biggest questions we had going into this game was, what's going to happen to quarterback? Well, I tell you what, he completed almost all of his passes, 22 for 29, very efficient day, had a rushing touchdown, ran the offense, and it, when... There was that point in time in the fourth quarter where it looked like the Titans, you know, could have either scored and tied it up. I mean, I think they missed the two points, so they were they were still down. But the next drive, he just methodically led that offense down the field. No issues, no problems, did not wilt from the pressure. He looks like the real deal, Frank. And so this Thorson guy got my MVP. 
And, uh, well, you, you need some more MVPs uh, in terms of most valuable picks uh, because picks. Uh, right now you are down five games uh, to me, 22 versus 17 in the wins. And so, uh, JB, uh, get, get to work, get, get studying up here because uh, you need to come back here. Uh, the fans like it when you beat me. I need, to okay? talk, talk. I need to talk to some of my buddies out in Massachusetts. Like, run some algorithms for me. Come on, guys. Let's help me out here, Bubna. Well, listen, uh, JB, we got a lot of things uh, here. Uh, first off, uh, we've got a lot. Well, it's 15 years uh, in a couple weeks for us. And we want to start talking about yeah. some stories and some uh, storylines from these 15 years that uh, kind of have set the standard or stage for this show to be as uh, long as or around as long as it's been here. Uh, 15 years is not mm -hmm. a short period of time. Video uh, started about, what, five, six years ago for us, uh, ultimately. 2017, yeah. Yep, so six years ago. And uh, that was kind of a game changer for us, obviously. But, you know, one of the stories that we uh, remember and we're going to talk about on Friday uh, was obviously uh, the death of Evan Hansen, uh, who was the linebacker at Wabash. And uh, we're going to have his father, Chuck Hansen, joining us on Friday Live uh, to talk about what has happened since that point in time when Evan took his own life. Uh, they're not shy to discuss the fact that that is what happened. Uh, the developments related to CTE and Evan. I talked to Chuck uh, at length on Monday, and uh, you know it's it's one of those stories where you have a family that lost a son to an injury that was at least part of the death uh, cause. When you've got to think about it, probably at the end of the day, uh, you know that led to the suicide potentially that still want to see the game of football played and just want to see it done in a safe manner. They still love the game of football. And it's something that kind of touches me to hear him talk about it. And I hope you'll join us on Friday uh, during our live show to hear more of the story of what has happened since Evan passed away five years ago, September 10th. Uh, that uh, will be an interesting uh, discussion. Also joining us on Friday will be Cole Burgess, the wide receiver from Cortland, uh, he'll be live on the show as our first guest uh, on Friday morning, so you'll, you won't want to miss that. Cole grew up uh, not very far from where I am here in Balsa Spa. He grew up in Greenwich, uh, New York, and uh, he is just a wonderkin when it comes to receiving out there. Not the biggest guy in the field by any stretch of the imagination, but plays with a lot of heart, and that's why they are contenders here again in 2023. Uh, yesterday in the Village of Balsa Spa, uh, we had our 9-11 ceremony, and you may have seen our Twitter activity uh, showing the Ed's Loom discussion from 2008, which was our first season, uh, the first couple weeks into the show, and Ed's Loom joined us to talk about various things, WPI football-based, because he was the head coach at that point, but uh, you probably remember the discussion uh, that we had about the WPI at Union game just, what was it, four days later and uh, playing that game yeah. uh, and so go to Twitter to find that if you don't remember that discussion but I got a chance uh, as mayor uh, of the Village of Balsa Spa to address our community about 9-11 uh, last night or on Monday night uh, by the time you're watching this uh, and uh, a number of our high school football team uh, JV and varsity players joined us and I got to share a story as well about a little bit of a surprising development that occurred at Trinity on Saturday and something that kind of reminded me that we are a full 22 years past 
and not many people that are in college or below were even alive at that point for 9-11. Here's my discussion or my uh, speech and uh, hopefully you can you know, take some uh, ideas from it about things we need to do to keep that whole mantra of never forget real. Welcome everyone. First off, I want to thank the uh, football team for coming tonight. Uh, Jason Allen's been their coach. Uh, I reached out to them on Friday night. We've got to deliver back Thursday night, Saratoga. They'll be playing. We've got to get out there and support them as much as they're supporting us here tonight. It's always tough to come up with a new speech every year for this. This is year 22, obviously. I haven't been at this position all 22 of them, but we've had to discuss this year in and year out on 9-11. And on Saturday night, I was down in San Antonio, Texas, covering a Division III college football game. And I'm trying to think about, what am I going to say? What am I going to do on Monday? I really don't know. And all of a sudden, they say, please rise for the national anthem. There was only one problem. The teams weren't on the field. We were basically just the stands honoring the flag, honoring the national anthem. I'm scratching my head a little bit after it's done. And I'm realizing, you know, this is the 22nd anniversary. 22 is the age of a college senior. Essentially, almost everybody in schools all the way up to college wasn't born when 9-11 occurred in 2001. History is deemed to repeat itself if we do not remember and take notice of how we got into a certain position in the first place. That's one of the reasons actually I was thinking of asking the football team here a day earlier and it made a lot more sense once Saturday happened because we have to remember what happened on 2001's version of 9-11. We have to keep teaching the youth why it's important because I wish that none of you have to know the feeling of going to an airport and getting trapped at that airport. I hope you'll never have the feeling of going into a nearby bar to watch TVs seeing people literally falling down in buildings because somebody hated us enough to fly airplanes into buildings and to see a building like the Pentagon on fire with people dead and something else happening in Shanksville, Pennsylvania because a group of people that didn't know where they were going to be going said to heck with it and they overtook the plane, crashed it, but saved a lot of people in the process. I hope you'll never have to know, coming back into New York City that night, looking around at smoke plumes, going to the firehouse where your friends were, and asking, oh, where are they? Are they here? Well, no, they're, 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 they're down there, was the response. I'm like, oh, down the other side of the house? No, down there. And feeling your heart drop. That's my 9-11, and that was pretty simple compared to some people's 9-11. A lot of people lost a lot, a lot more than I did, and my family and my friends, a lot paid the ultimate price. Nearly 3,000 people perished, ultimately. We cannot forget what happened on 9-11 and why it happened, because if we do, it could happen again. 
That is why this memorial is so important, why Mayor Romano put so much energy into making this happen. These are the last two pieces of metal that were available at JFK's hangar back in the year that we got it, a number of years ago. This was it in 2017. That's it. It was almost like it was destined to be that Balsas Bob would receive these pieces of rail. Never forget. I know it's not easy to say that if you weren't around for it in the first place, but it is our job as the adults to keep teaching so that you don't forget what happened. And then it'll be your job later on to teach your kids the same thing. Never forget. It is so important for our future, for all these folks here, that lost friends, lost brothers, to pay honor to what they lost and what happened that day. Thank you for coming out and for remembering with us. And once again, please never forget. Okay, uh, so there is that, and uh, JB, always an honor uh, to get to speak about that uh, event because I was in New York City during it, as you know, uh, and uh, while it still sucks thinking about it and you know having some of the flashbacks to then, it yeah. is something that we can't forget uh, but in any way, shape, or form. What are your overall thoughts? Uh, you know, another defining moment of our show. That was one of our biggest defining moments to start this show uh, was the Ed Zaloom discussion back in 2008. That kind of made yeah. us realize the feedback we got from that discussion. Hey, people are listening or watching or wanting wanting this content, and uh, it was it was an important discussion. Thanks to Coach Zaloom all these years later for helping us understand the value of the show. But what what are your thoughts? No, I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, I guess this is our generation's, you know, the date that will go down in infamy, you know, sort of a thing. I mean, it was it was D-Day or, for, you know, for our, you know, the greatest generation and, and so on. There was, you know, uh, Vietnam and other things for maybe for our parents. But this was for, you know, guys our age. It was a, a seminal moment, something that we all know exactly where we were and what was going on, you know, when that event happened. Um, you know, it doesn't for at least folks you know, like us who were originally from you know the east coast and and even others who live all across the country they, they have it's it, you know one or two people removed that that were affected by this i mean one of my former teammates from hobart uh he was a senior when i was a freshman so we weren't very close but he was in the tower and, and he you know he unfortunately perished along with close to three thousand others and it's just hard to believe that that um you know that that happened and uh, you know obviously a lot of change you know came from it uh when the zoomer gave his speech it was still relatively fresh in our mind our country was going through a, a major financial crisis in that fall of 2008 as you may recall i was on the front lines for that and um you know just trying to hang on to my my job and everything else back then and kind of crazy times but that's that's sort of um i think part of what zoomer's message is is that life will throw both good and terrible things at you and what we need to do in in the hard times is really come together uh, as communities as you know as families as friends and all that to, to, to help each other through the tough stuff so um, I, I love that speech you know I, I actually enjoy you know listening to it every year it never gets old and um, 
you know, I, I think that's that's kind of what we have to hang on to. Amen to that. Let's talk football before we leave here. Uh, what do we learn in week two? Uh, briefly, I, I'm going to say that uh, for the second straight week, Trinity is the real deal in terms of a national threat. Uh, but they, They've got a lot in front of them still. You pointed out Barry with that 68.5 points uh, per game that they've uh, scored. Maybe it's not against the same competition, but still, we know they can put up points. And the fact that Barry beat Huntington the way they did and Huntington beat uh, Birmingham Southern a week later should tell you that Barry is something to be reckoned with this season. But first things first, Birmingham Southern is next on Trinity's schedule. What did you learn from uh, this week's action? Well, I think it's not necessarily what I learned. It's maybe it's the old not so fast because, you know, the, the laws of syllogism that we like to talk about on this show. I mean, yeah, sure. Whitewater won big over St. John's. Does that mean that they're twice as good as Trinity, or does that mean that maybe St. John's was overrated and Trinity just didn't have their best game? You know, is Mary Harden Baylor going to fall out of the sort of national prominence if they lose this weekend to, to Whitewater? We don't know yet. Um, there's still going to be a lot to, to be figured out. Uh, this weekend, there aren't as many big matchups, but there are a couple like the, you know, the Whitewater UMHB game down there in Texas. Um, but really where we're starting to, to gravitate towards, which is the, the path to the playoffs, is the conference play. You win and you're in. And then after that, everything sort of shakes out um, the way it will. So I think we don't want to overreact a little bit. You know, Let's just wait and see how the next couple weeks goes. Um, but there were certainly some impressive debuts, Wheaton being one of them. I think that's you know, partially why I was like, this Thorson guy, they're, they're in great shape. And like you said, Frank, you know, North Central maybe wants wants to look out. I mean, they, they weren't in action last weekend. Neither was Mount Union. They, they had an early bye week. But there are some contenders out there that are going to be chasing these guys, and it'll be interesting to see how it goes. The other thing I learned, I, I honestly, it's uh, in the same game. Uh, Mary Hart and Baylor, I honestly think they're not toast yet. Uh, some people may uh, find it interesting I was saying that, but – it becomes a question, is it size and speed or is it youth and inexperience or a combination therein that you need to point to? I think it's youth and inexperience more so than a lack of strength and, or strength and speed. And so I have a feeling this Wisconsin-Whitewater game that they're going to play on Saturday is going to be very, very close. It's going to be in Belton. It's never easy to play in Belton. It, the weather will be reasonable at around 84 degrees, it looks like. But I just had this funny feeling that this wacky world that we're in of Division Three football is not going to just play out this hand where, oh, it's going to be an easy whitewater win. I think Mary Harden-Baylor has a chance this coming week. We'll talk more about that on Friday. Uh, JB, last thoughts on week two before we say goodbye for this show or this episode of the show. Well, nothing, nothing really extra on week two. I do think, though, eventually we need to start putting you back on the spot with your top 25 ballot because it's been a couple weeks now. We did put out a preseason top 25 poll. We've seen a few games, so maybe we should start doing a little quarterly check-in and see, see how things are going. I feel good about our picks of, like, of River Falls. They've now moved up into the, the, the D3Football.com top 10. You know, Muhlenberg is now 25. We had them in our preseason poll, by the way, in the top 25, just saying, you know. So we kind of, we called that one, so I felt good about that. You know, but we'll have to wait and see, because there, sometimes there's upsets. I mean, your sinus has gotten the mules a couple of years running now. 
you know, eventually those two guys are going to play and we'll have to see what happens. But conference play is starting to shift. We get one last like, sort of big weekend as far as out-of-conference games, and then we'll see where things go from there. Sure enough, uh, I'll uh, get that uh, ballot polished off and ready to go uh, for uh, the next go-around, perhaps, or next Tuesday. We'll see which. Uh, but nonetheless, folks, we got a busy Friday show coming up here. We do want you to join us live at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. That is what we do here. And uh, we'll uh, take you all the way through things. And guess what? I'm going to be going to three games, Friday, Saturday, and Saturday. I will tell you a little bit more about that. But the, the uh, theme of it will be a New York state of mind. And we'll tell you more about what that all means as the week progresses. So until Friday, JB, have a great week. Folks, we'll see you soon. Lots to do, lots to talk about coming up. But in the meantime, be safe and have a great week as we march toward week three of the Division Three college football season.